Hi there, I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. And I'm Juliana Jones. Welcome to Mission Audition. I'm so happy. We're always happy to do the show, I must say. But today we have a guest from the other side of the world, and it's early in the morning where you are. Well, not too early, but early enough. Toby Ricketts, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Toby, you have the best possible backdrop for like doing your voiceovers. You live in New Zealand. Like, first of all, like that's awesome. That's just like, I, like, <laughs> I want to go there just to see like Hobbitown. I want to want to do like all kinds of, I know we're not talking about that today, but what we are doing is, is actually doing an episode about authentic or as close to authentic as we can be Australian accents. Mm. So Toby, like you're an expert in this area because you can do a lot of accents, including the Australian accent. So why don't you share a bit about yourself, you know, kind of how you got into this voiceover thing, where you're from originally, and all the places you've lived and the accents you've picked up as a voiceover artist. So I've been a professional voiceover for a full time. It's probably about five or six years. Um, I've been in radio for about 20 years before that. I started when I was eight years old, making little radio shows on on cassettes with my friends. And since then, I've kind of gone on to win a few big awards. There was the, the One Voice Awards I won four awards in 2018, including voiceover of the year and one uh, voiceover of the year in 2019, as well as a few other awards as well, which is amazing and nominated for a few um, Sovaz awards as well over that time. But a little bit about my accent background. So um, I was born in um, England, in Brighton on the south coast, and I lived there until I was about 14 years old. Uh, Then my family emigrated to New Zealand, which is about as far away from uh, England as you can get. So I moved over here with this uh, this little sort of south coast um, British accent. And it was the first year of high school when I moved over because I was 14 years old which is a very challenging time socially. And of course, I had this accent that was different from everyone else's. And within two weeks, my accent became like a New Zealand accent, like it was, like it is now. But the strange thing was, whenever I talked to my relatives on the phone, it would go back to a British accent and I wouldn't even be conscious of it. So it was kind of like, I kind of realized that there were two accents stored away and I could do both. I have been able to sort of, like I do a lot of my work in a British accent and that's probably where I'm most comfortable because I do about probably 80% of my work with a British accent. But also there's there's some New Zealand work that needs doing. And then I thought, well, you know, Australian accent is pretty close to a New Zealand accent. There are some quite big differences, but like they're, they're all, it's not like a completely different accent. So I decided to branch out into Australian, started getting Australian work. And then after that, um, I thought, well, the accent that's most cast in the world is North American. And so I thought, well, I'll start working on my, my, my North American accents. And that's kind of evolved into this interesting new phenomenon of transatlantic, but also transglobal accents, where corporations are starting to cast for someone that comes from nowhere, because they want a video that, that uh, they can send to their sales team, and they can sound like they're from nowhere. They're not favoring any particular branch. So my current kind of thing is offering this accent from nowhere. Wow. To be from nowhere. That is awesome. So just give us a little flavor here. So you have all those accents that you've mentioned. Obviously, you've learned the American accent. Can you give us, you know, one short sentence? I know, like, hi, my name's Toby, you know, in in all of the accents that you can do. I'll do a short sentence. And this is uh, one I like because it covers most of the vowel sounds. Okay. So in my native Kiwi accent, I'd say, because this is my normal speaking voice, um, I had John fix the car. So I had my friend John fix the car, right? Now let's switch to American. I had John fix the car. Like that. Oh, oh yeah. That's and good. then let's do Australian. I had John fix the car. 
subtle difference between the Kiwi, you notice there? I had John fix the car. And let's go British. I had John fix the car. So again, it's quite subtle, but they're all slightly, slightly different accents there. I see all my favorite TV shows in each of the <laughs> different accents. Yeah. <laughs> South African is another accent that kind of fits in that world of, wow, that sounds really neat. It's not British. It's not Australian. It's not. So how is that accent different from everything else? Have you tried that one? Yes. Well, the South African accent is a very clipped. It's got very strange um, vowels that fall in different places, um, a little bit like the Kiwi accent as well, except the main thing with the South African is, it is you hear that it's very staccato. It's very clipped like this. There's a movie about prawns, which I took a lot of inspiration for this from. Um, if you know it, then you know it. Um, but yeah, that, that's 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 my kind of take on the South African accent. Once you start getting into accents, you realize that there's no Australian accent or American accent or South African. There's different regions and the accent can diverge quite a lot from the kind of classic standard accent. So in you know South Africa, there's the Transvaal accent, there's the, the all different kinds. In America, there's a huge plethora of different accents, right from Southern right up to sort of the, uh, you know, the, the Canadian border where you've uh, they've got the Minnesota and the, and the Canadian. And I'd love to sort of like paint a map with a kind of a spectrum because they all kind of start to bleed into each other as well. And you get this interesting halfway accent. So, I mean, accents is one of those fascinating things that you can you can use in everyday life as well. I really love that you can practice this stuff on strangers and they have no idea that you're actually like working hard, but you're you're pretending to be from somewhere else. And even if you muck up, People won't necessarily sort of point it out. You'll know that you made a mistake, but they won't know. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those really interesting things. England as well is a great example of a place where you can walk, you know, two miles down the road and have someone that talks completely different. You know, there are all these little communities where an accent's developed over years because accents usually develop where there's some kind of geographical border or there's some kind of social difference. So there's, there's a strata either geographically or socially, which has meant that people don't mix and they form their own way of talking. Um, and I find that fascinating. So fascinating. Yeah, Toby, obviously there are regions in different parts of the world and in every country, we shouldn't just say, yeah, they have an accent and there is only one. So in Australia, for the purposes of this show and from what you can remember right now, uh, what are the different dialects in Australia and how do they change from region to region or even from province to province? So there is like a kind of a, a central like Australian accent, but it does vary from the south to the north. So right down in the south where Melbourne is in Victoria, it's a very soft form of the Australian accent. It's almost Kiwi in some ways, like uh, what I'm speaking now is is kind of the the Victorian accent. And then as you go up the coast, you get into more of New South Wales, uh, Sydney, that kind of thing, um, and gets a little bit more pointed in the in the eyes. And then you get up the central coast and like Northern Territory, mate, and it gets pretty wild up there. The country and the accent and everything goes a bit crazy. I guess if when we're listening, if you do hear some kind of regionalisms or, or you can spot, I don't know, an Aussie in the mix somewhere. And of course, we're not going to say if there are authentic Aussies <laughs> or not in this. That's that's up to uh, uh, Toby's ears to figure out oh. today. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to be listening for all kinds of things, but absolutely a great point. There's all kinds of different dialects and accents within regions. Um, yeah, we have a very distinct accent, mm -hmm. actually, in the region that we live in, southwestern Ontario. Mm. Before we talk any more 
because I'm telling you, we need to stop. We need to get to these auditions. I know you want us to get there. Um, we'll talk about the job. So this is a, um, it's basically a narration. Just putting that out there for you. It's a documentary. We're looking for an authentic, bright sort of voice. Of course, the accent is Australian, whatever that means to us today. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking to hear from male and female voice artists. But uh, Julianne, I'll let you get into those details. Sure. So for the artistic direction, we said this piece of nonfiction should be read in the style of a narrator. These These passages are from a work documenting the life of astronomer Galileo and should be read in a bright and engaging way in a fully voiced narration style. Well, that's quite a job, I'd Mm. say. All right. Just before we go, I think it's really important to state that if you're not ready to do accents at a professional level, like an authentic level, then don't just put yourself out there and try and do accents and not know whether you're any good. Find a mentor, find someone you trust and practice your accents on them. And ask when you're ready to take this accent to market. Well, here we are, everyone. Tune your ears. We're about to hear audition number one. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599 he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Mm. All right, Toby, what do you think? I'm kind of listening a bit less to the accent and more to the delivery. It's kind of one long sentence and and kind of not broken up. So I'll comment comment on the delivery and and also um, bits on the accents too. So there's like, in terms of the delivery, there's no real journey letting me know where I'm supposed to listen to in the sentence. Like, you know, there's there's, there's music in there in terms of the music of of talking, but it's kind of all over the place, so it's a little bit distracting. In terms of his actual um, Australian accent, some parts are quite right, but there's, there's interesting areas where... It's a bit of a giveaway, like aptitude. Australians would almost always say tude rather than just tude, like a flat tude. Ap- aptitude. Aptitude. So, yeah, the, the, just little differences like that can give away. But on the whole, the accent was pretty good. But like I say, the delivery kind of threw me a bit. And often when people try and do accents, they start focusing so much on the accent that the, the actual delivery goes out the window. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking back to my days in diction class <laughs> in music. Yep. And, uh, you know, we had the IPA, International Phonetic Alphabet, mm. and we had to learn how to spell out words, you know, in the languages that we were singing. Mm. So Italian, French, German, you know, Latin, whatever. And we also had to learn how to do it in English, too, which is kind of cool. And, and I can't remember for the life of me, you know, Kevin McMillan, if you are listening to this, you, you comment and you let us know who the author of this book was. But anyway, this woman in the United States. She had written this really great book that talked about just simply for English speaking. And yeah, you you have sometimes when you have attitude, it could be attitude. But it is so cool to think that we could dissect an accent through how it looks on paper phonetically. Like you could learn an accent any number of ways too, Mm. right? Not just listening. Yeah, that's true. It's actually one of my, my, uh, my, my goals in the future is to, I don't know about phonetics or how to write them and it would be quite useful in what I do, probably. Definitely one way. I know that hearing and shaping the vowels and all that is totally its own beast. But Mm. like just thinking like, as you said that, it took me all the way back, back into music ed. And I'm Mm. like, oh, you know, like (laughs) that is such a neat thing. I wonder if anyone else is into linguistics and hearing 
hearing this because they've they've got some ideas of their own probably on how to teach themselves an accent. Yeah, yeah, and things yeah. like diphthongs, you know, like um, I find diphthongs really fascinating. How in one accent there's there's just you know a single a single uh, note and a single sound, and in others that sound will turn um, on. Uh, they'll become two two vowel sounds like on the same note. You know, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but like um, diip in a Southern American accent, D-I-P, whereas in, in British it would be dip, and in Southern American, dip, like it's two different noises that happen on the same vowel. And there's a funny story that in New Zealand, we're the only accent that has um, something called a quadrathong, we call it. <laughs> this is very jokingly. And any New Zealanders will find this hilarious. This is the thing in the New Zealand accent where we say, no, and it's like a quadrathong, because it's like, no, but we turn it into four different sounds. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. wow. It's like a great warm-up exercise. Exactly. It does sound like a good warm-up yeah. exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say that. That gets into the resonators. <laughs> like it's like yeah. stretching the face a bit there. Yeah, that, that's cool. <laughs> Sometimes you can spot something. Mm. It will stick out like a sore thumb to a, a native speaker. Mm. Like if you don't say tewed when you should be saying it or something, it, it's a it's a giveaway. So in that, I guess we'll we'll move to audition number two and, and we'll find out what, what this auditioner has brought to the table. Like many other philosophers, who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599, he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Wow, what do you think, Toby? Very nice. I'm going to award the Dick Van Dyke Award for bravery. For this one. <laughs> As you know, Dick Van Dyke did the, which has been voted the, the worst accent in history, and Mary Poppins trying to play a Cockney um, on the streets of, Lo- of London. This one, I feel like it had its feet in so many different accents. It was kind of like this amazing blend of all these different things. There was some, a bit of South African in there, a bit of Cockney, and, and lots of Sub-Saharan Africa. And I would put money that this person, because that's, it's very uncommon to hear some of those, um, those African vowels and African sounds coming through. And I definitely heard that. So I would put money that um, this person is a voiceover in sub-Saharan Africa somewhere. Possibly Nigeria. <laughs> the mental picture of the Dick Van Dyke Award for the accent. That he did. <laughs> but I thought, well, you know, since you mentioned all these different places, uh, and you also said earlier to be the voice from nowhere, or, you know, to mm. have belonged to nowhere. How do we distinguish between being a voice from nowhere and sounding like you've been everywhere, but we're not sure where you're from? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, with this one, it sounds a little unsettled because it keeps going into different accents. Whereas someone that has, say, lived in England and then lived in the, in the United States will kind of smoothly flow through them and borrow from each rather than just steal this bit and steal this bit. There's a kind of smoothness mm, like to how they sound. Like it was very choppy with one was versus the other. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there, there, is, there is an obvious point at which you start throwing vowels around which you know that that doesn't come from anywhere in the world because, you know, you've, it's completely foreign. It starts to get into the realms of comedy at that point. And then, you know, no one's taking you seriously and you've lost your believability. So it's a very fine line between, you know, I mean, the, the accent from nowhere is not just any old random vowels put together. It's like it's got to be considered and you've got to have the knowledge of, of what languages gen- in English and what accents generally sound like in order to start breaking the rules. Just thinking of people who invent their own accents. <laughs> <laughs> we'll name them, won't name them now. It it is something that you, you don't like 
construct your own accent. Mm. Well, I mean, you could try, but I'm just thinking like people do construct languages though. Mm. There were groups on Facebook where they do this. They create their own languages. Absolutely, um, like know. Dothraki and Klingon. They they go back and they, they, they make a whole culture behind it as well. And, um, you know, culture is a really important thing, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later, but um, culture, how culture influences um, accents. Are there certain words or vowels that gave away like different um, accents that you picked out? I think so. Um, definitely with um, with uh, with Australian, there's the, the, the I in the middle of words, like think. There's not too many other accents which would say think, apart from South African as well. That's think. They, they, they have that. They share that in common. It's interesting when you see accents borrowing from each other as, as well. There's, the, there's elements of the Kiwi accent and the Boston accent which share a very uncommon um, expression. Sometimes you're watching... Like a, like a, some, it's said in North America, someone you hear a Boston accent and think there's a Kiwi, and then it's not. But it's just they've said a little thing that's exactly the same as the huh. Kiwi accent, which is kind of unusual. Well, I'm almost wondering if when you have, uh, well, until you're at the point where you're able to fluidly be a voice of the world, that maybe when you're doing accents, it might be better to stick with uh, animation mm, voiceover mm. jobs that are asking versus something that's a little bit more serious, like a documentary. Mm, absolutely, do yeah, exactly. Because when you've got a voice that requires some authority and believability and um, has that gravitas the last thing you want is to see doubt in the in, in the minds of the people that this person doesn't know what they're talking about and if they're doing something that's like I've never heard this before so why should I believe them kind of thing with the accents with things like documentary you do want to stick with things that people are people are used to and comfortable hearing so they can concentrate on the content rather than the delivery versus if you flip that with cartoons and that's no problem you can have fun with exactly. the voice yeah, yeah it's all about the funny voice sense. yeah exactly well and maybe for some of the people who are listening you can use that when you're applying to auditions just be think a little bit critically about what it is that you can accomplish on the job okay well let's listen to audition number three like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research to facilitate his practical work we find that in 1599 he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Yeah, I I must admit, I, I did try to almost speak three or four times because I thought she was done. Amazing voice. Mm. So pretty. Yeah. So pretty. Like, well, I don't want to say I'd be fooled. I don't want to say fooled. But like, I could believe that this is someone who is from Australia. Like, because I'm not from Australia. She could fool me enough. Yeah. Um, but the, something about the delivery it was a little too slow. I just wanted to talk about how great she was. But every time I did, I, I had to exhale. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I had exactly the same reaction. It was that she had it was a really nuanced accent. Like it was I believe that she has lived there for a long time or does live there because there were things like nature, like we'd go nature in New Zealand and, and there's a little bit of an R there, but they when they end something with like nature, they literally go C H A cha. Nature. Like um gotcha. Like it's really, it's an open mouth finish, which you don't get with many accents. So that little indicators like that kind of indicate to me that she does, she's lived around Aussies or something like that. But as you say, it wasn't a voiceover. It was a series of statements. They didn't connect. Like it was the sentences would kind of sometimes stop in the middle and no connection at all between them in the script. So you, you keep thinking, what's she actually talking about? What's she actually talking about? This is just a series of statements. So if she worked on the delivery, then that would be 
that would be um, that would be very good. But um, yeah, unfortunately, the delivery let it down a bit there. So when you are taking a look at a script, how do you make sure that you're not too staccato? I think it's very important to keep in mind that you're not reading words off a page. You are trying to communicate a concept to the people who are listening using the words on the page. So you've got to read it and understand it first. Basically tell the people what you've just understood on the page. When you've been doing this for a number of years, you get in the habit of reading up to a sentence or two ahead, and then you kind of put it into your back brain and you've got this kind of like, you you become a machine that eats words and expels meaning, I like to tell my students. Um, But it's all about the meaning in the words. It's not about actually just saying the words on the script. So it's understanding them and then communicating the concepts within. Is it possible that this voice artist might have been thinking, I'm reading for a documentary, there's stuff going on on the screen, I can't see it. Mm. No one's telling me in a storyboard what's going on. Mm. So I am going to leave pauses or Mm. I'm going to stop or I'm not going to connect these ideas because I honestly don't know if it all is supposed to be together. Like that could be what it was. But but what do you think if someone's auditioning for a documentary, Toby, should they be thinking as in, you know, like what we would normally think is Mm. to just connect the whole thing? Or should they be thinking in terms of splitting it up a little bit? Well, I think documentary is a really interesting form of voiceover because it's one of those um, art forms, a bit like sound design where if you notice it then you're not doing your job that can't be attention grabbing because the important thing is the story that's going on on screen you've got to leave room for the pictures it's important to kind of not be noticed but i think she went so far the other way that it was very noticeable by saying like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature those sentences are intimately linked because it's basically like you're saying like many other philosophers and then you're going off on a a sidetrack saying who greatly extended our knowledge of nature Galileo had a remarkable... So it does have to flow in order to keep that meaning, to keep it rolling forward, as opposed to just being a series of, there's this and this and this. What's your auditioning process like when you sit down in front of one? It's very important to think who you're reading to. I mean, you get a very good sense once you once you start doing sort of 20, 30 auditions a day about how to approach scripts. When you first start out, I'd say familiarise yourself with lots of different forms of media, documentary, TV shows, trailers, and just see how those scripts sound, how they kind of, how they come out of people's mouths and what words are used because then when you start reading sample scripts you can be like this sounds like that genre that I know and then you kind of have to conjure up in your head what does a documentary voice sound like oh it it sounds like I'm sitting down it's very serious and just start to construct what you would hear in your head if you're watching a documentary and then do that you know rather than try and think about the way you're going to deliver each word just try and make your voice sound like the voices on tv doing documentaries that's kind of my way of doing it um, which is kind of more an intuitive way than an instructive way of doing it but I think lots of stuff about voiceover is intuitive. Curious, just because we're talking about documentaries, but say a nature documentary, mm. that would be different from, say, a historical documentary where you're talking about someone and it's more biographical, mm. that sort of thing. What is the difference between the approach someone might take in, say, you know, Sir David Attenborough comes to mind as like the guy we all look to for the nature videos. But yeah. how would approaching of nature video documentary uh, be different from, say, what we're reading right here? David Attenborough really defined that genre. Like he created it and he has been the voice of it. And I, I cannot believe how many auditions every week come through for a David Attenborough sound alike. It's mm-hmm. literally about mm-hmm. 10% of jobs. Um, so it just shows how much influence that his, his delivery has had on, on the industry. And I think people are somewhat trying to get towards the read that he does but without sounding like they're taking the mickey or trying to do an impersonation of him you know i think with historical documentaries it can be a bit more a bit more narrative i suppose it is yeah it's difficult trying to trying to exactly find where the line is between that when it's human drama i think it's different from animal drama because there's a level that we can get involved with human drama but with animal drama we're, we're kind of spectators 
to it. I did a, um, a documentary for National Geographic about Changi, Singapore, um, Terminal 4, that it was, and they, they described this amazing building and how they've got all these amazing um, systems. And I think with that one, you were trying to get people enthusiastic. You were saying, isn't this amazing? Look at this terminal they've built. They've got this amazing baggage handling system. And it was kind of this, it almost got into a commercial kind of thing that you were trying to get people excited about this thing that had happened, not to sell something to them, but just saying, look how amazing it is. You know, I mean, the documentary genre is so wide now where you've got kind of mega machines and stuff up one end. And then at the other end, you've got sort of very sort of quiet, sort of historical or, or, or um, academic uh, documentaries, which require a completely different approach. So there is really is a, a very wide gamut of styles appropriate within documentary. Do you find you do a lot of coaching for documentaries? Like with your students? Not specifically. I think it's an easier genre for someone that's completely new. I think it's probably an easier genre to get your head around rather than sort of promo or sort of radio or TV ads to start with. Mm. Um, because it, it, we're trying to focus on a natural delivery. It sounds like someone just talking, whereas some of the commercial reads don't sound like normal people talking. They sound like voiceovers yeah, talking. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think it's quite an accessible genre. And I think there's going to be more and more work online because people are making mini documentaries about everything now. It's not just the BBC and, you know, yep. and uh, um, the ABC or um, I'm not sure who in America makes it. Um, the What's it called in, in Well, even Canada? on Netflix, you have a bunch of like not homemade ones, but mm. people who never would have had this kind of an audience now have access to them through platforms like streaming services. And it's just so cool to see what people are making and things I never would have had access to exactly. without it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Very good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's good. a lot of opportunity. Absolutely. Mm. So we're going to move to audition number four. Great. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599, he engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. So if I had listened to this one without having listened to the other ones, I would have thought, oh, yeah, this is an Australian guy. But now that I've heard your critiques for the other ones, I'm like picking this one apart. And I'm like, oh, he's not Australian. Would you agree? <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. I can hear his American accent shining through behind it. Like you can just hear. He, I bet he does a great commercial US read, though, because you can just hear that he's, yes. he's got that real... That, that real commercial flow sound to his voice. And, and this is a really interesting example of one of the other things about accents, that it's not necessarily about the sounds you make, but the rhythm that you say them in as well. Mm -hmm. Because one of the big things I learned when I was trying to do an American accent for the American market, and my dialect coach says, the words you're saying have an American flavor, like they have the right sounds, but your rhythm is all wrong. Because Americans, rather than speaking in a British accent, and you say, I'm going to go out and get something from the car, and you say every word with equal weight, and I'm going to go out and get something from the car. Whereas if you're talking in an American accent, it's more in concept. So you'll say, I'm just going to go out and get something from the car. All those little words in the middle don't matter at all. I'm just going to go out and get something from the car. It's more of a conceptual speak. So you'll pick out the words which carry the sentence, the actual meaning of the sentence, and emphasize those, and everything else doesn't really matter. Huh. Wow. That's my experience anyway. So that's an extreme example, but it's more like that. So you have to actually change the rhythm and the way that you talk as well. And I feel like that last audition started really well, and straight off I was like, wow, we might have a genuine Australian here, but then a couple of slip-ups, and it was the rhythm as well that was going on. The dead giveaway was fertile, the word fertile. When Australians would say it'd be fertile, like that, but Americans say fertile. 
And that's one of those classic, you know, it's almost a different word. But, you know, it's, it's little things like that, fertile versus fertile, that, uh, that will give it away. Like the attitude. Yeah, attitude. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's another topic here, Toby. We were talking a little bit earlier about this, but just the idea that culture informs how an accent might sound mm. or where you're from. And so obviously that was likely an American trying mm-hmm. to be an Australian. Mm. But what is it about history and culture that informs how an accent is either made or, or how someone sounds and how that belongs to that community is distinct to them? That's a very good question. It's a very big part of accents is that the accent starts to reflect the culture and the people. So it's really interesting, for example, when you hear tonal languages, Asian accents are tonal. So, for example, in sort of Indonesia and Thailand and China, you can say exactly the same thing. But if it ends at a different place, then it means a completely different word. So they've got a lot more emphasis in their cultures about the music and the notes on which you start and where you end, because it can mean completely different things. Whereas in English, apart from when we ask a question, we don't really pay that much attention to the tonality, not as much anyway, because it doesn't mean completely different words. Words. And you get really interesting results when tonal languages meet non-tonal languages. For example, you get Chinese trying to do British accents. And all of the accent is all over the place like this because they're used to speaking in certain music and it just doesn't work when placed into the voiceover context. I'm very general here, but maybe British people are a little bit more deadpan and that's why there's no tonality to it. Maybe people mm. who've come from an Asian culture, you know, the subtleties, the art, the music, maybe that plays kind of a, mm. a role in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, yeah. but it is really interesting to start to draw those comparisons and those. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but I think we need a, mm. an ethnomusicologist yeah. <laughs> to come join us. Someone from Anthro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've got another example of uh, of the culture though, because the the question that you ask. So culturally, if you look at Australia or the United States versus the United Kingdom, which typically has got very you know stiff upper lip and the the RP, the ruling class, very very much uh, detailed, focused, and very formal way of way of speaking, because you don't want to lose any detail, dotting the T's and crossing the I's or whatever the way round that should be. But when you look at the American culture, it tends to be a lot more confident and a lot more sort of relaxed about things. It's got this kind of relaxed confidence, like uh, walking to a room and saying, hey, everyone, I'm here. OK, let's get going. You know, whereas a British person would sort of creep in and say, excuse me, am I in the right place? <laughs> you know, stereotypically, of course, you can see how the accents kind of reflect that attitude. So would it be fair to say that we bring our own cultural nuance to an accent when we're learning something and that could hinder us? We're just unaware of it. We have to learn the music of another culture. Absolutely. I think it's very important to not exactly spend time in a country, but listen to lots of voiceovers from that country and think, how are these people talking in a general sense? Not in a specific sense, but in a general sense. What's their attitude? Uh, What's their posture, for example? Like with Australians, like I always tend to sort of lean back in my chair and just think, oh, it's a lovely sunny day. Maybe we'll go down to the beach, Um, you know. That just get those kind of pictures in your mind and then think, how, why are these people speaking like this, you know? And generally we're talking about, in voiceovers, we're talking about the kind of stereotypical accents. So, and there's going to be people that say, oh, I've got an Aussie friend who's very angry or a British person that slurs. But that's not the kind of the cultural zeitgeist that we're trying to project when we're doing accents to be believable. Everything you've said is really cool. cool. <laughs> it's almost like you have to learn what your natural accent is and then unlearn it mm. to do an accent. Yeah. We have to be aware of it so that you don't do it totally. when you're trying to replicate somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's also fascinating. Now we're going to move to audition number five. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. 
To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599 he'd engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Oh, mm. she made a contraction in there. Did you see that? I was yeah. just reading the script. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so it says here he had, but she turned it into like he'd. Mm. So with an Australian accent, would that someone say he had or would someone jump to he'd? I think they would say he had, depending on the formality of, uh, of the level of things going. So, I mean... Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with the way she did that. She started so well, and I thought, this is the clear winner. Like, she's she's absolutely nailing everything. And then about halfway, it got a bit Scandinavian. Her accent just started to end a little bit like this, like just get a bit almost kind of Dutch or Scandinavian somehow. And then the second half had this strange way she was finishing words. And it didn't sound Australian for the second half, but the first half sounded absolutely Australian, which was really interesting. The voice from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 I really liked her delivery. Mm. I, I felt like she would be a good audiobook narrator because it was easy to follow along with the, uh, my thoughts were easy to follow along with what she was saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, there was a tiny bit of like Northern England in there as well. So I wonder if she is is based over there somewhere. It's really good at accents, but maybe based in in Europe or something. There was definitely some kind of European flavor that came through there. I'd be very surprised if she was American. Yeah, I really liked her voice. Mm, I really did. Yeah. And and because I'm kind of a stickler for words, that's why I caught the contraction. And I'm like, right. oh, like maybe that's, you know, in some uh, voiceover, that is a forgivable thing to, to change the words yeah. a bit. But in other forms of voiceover, it's like, no, 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 you write what's written. Exactly. Or, it's oops, like, there we go. Legal Dotting my, <laughs> my T's and crossing my I's now am I, right? <laughs> I know that we're, we're, I, we're, it's late and early on both sides of the world right now where we are. So we're all forgiven. Um, but that said, like, I did love her. I did. Mm. I thought that was a great read. But as you say, sometimes it's the little things that mm. happen that where it might start to fall apart from a great read can can go somewhere else. Like, mm, how can mm. an artist make sure that, well, maybe they don't know it's a great read at first and then it just falls apart. But how can someone be consistent and to really, if they're coming in strong on that first part, to continue to be that same voice or that same person throughout? The way that I approach accents is, uh, I think the way that you have to do it when you start doing it professionally is you, you, you start doing accents and you listen to listen back to your recordings and then think, you know, what am I getting right? What am I getting wrong? Listen to a native speaker again. Listen to the recording you just did. Go back and then you try and undo those things. And I think as part of that process, you start to be voicing in an accent and then you'll hear when you get something wrong instantly as opposed to like having to listen back you've got enough brain space to be talking and then going oh and I didn't get that right and you go back and do it and then if you do it even more you start to be able to preempt the way you're going to talk stuff and I think the other thing that's worth really mentioning is about feeling in your mouth accents come from a completely different place for different accents the Kiwi accent is all like in the front of the mouth here, like it's like this, whereas the Aussie accent comes from a bit further back and it's a bit more relaxed. It's in the jaw here. American is like you can kind of go a bit slack jaw and get the American thing because you don't really have to move your mouth much. <laughs> whereas English, you have to really widen your mouth and it's all very <laughs> yeah. precise. So it comes from all different parts of the mouth, really. So, yeah, feeling, I think, is the thing to focus on, is that once you start really getting getting into accents, listening back to make sure you're sounding authentic, is the feeling that you have in your mouth so that you can get into different accents quite easily, but also maintain them. Because if you start hearing it come from a different place, you can feel that change in your mouth and it doesn't feel right. So you can keep an eye on it. The muscle memory. Get back in. Yeah, exactly. Muscle memory. Yeah. Well, it's like creating 
just all the characters that you might do, mm, right? Mm. In, in this case, though, their accents and where do they live and what do they feel like it, or a language even. How does it feel to speak this way? I know that certain languages for me, when I would sing in German, for instance, that felt very different than, say, mm, speaking or mm. singing in French or, or Italian. Mm. Um, it's, yeah. it's just where it lives, right? And so if yeah. you can yeah. write it down or watch a tutorial or like, I wish that we had video for this podcast sometimes because like, Toby, let's just all sit down together and, and see where <laughs> these accents live Watching you know you is just fascinating. Like, yeah. yeah exactly because you're like this is here this is there yeah. you know in, in the english body language changes <laughs> yeah. too it's yeah. not just your mouth it does, yeah. exactly absolutely like there's a lot there's a whole it's a whole body experience yeah. really when you're doing voiceover as we know or singing or, or anything acting but for an accent yeah like that is really cool that is really really neat we'll have mm. to see if there are any resources out there that actually describe you know in visual terms what you're talking about do you know of anywhere where people could go I know that there are these international kind of voice libraries where sort of ordinary people from different countries um, say where they're from and what their accent is and they go and record the same sentence that's quite commonly available on the internet. But there's nothing that actually talks about the, the feeling and where it is in the mouth, for example, which would be quite interesting. There's a lot that goes into the voice and how it comes across mm. and, and how it can be perceived by other people. Mm. When you see a poorly translated or poorly written script in an audition, do you correct it or do you read it as is? That's a very good question. I will usually make minor corrections to a script that is badly translated for, for an audition. And then I'll mention in the script, this doesn't sound like a native wrote it. I'm happy to correct the script because I know what you're talking about, but th this isn't the way a native would say it. I'll offer that service as separate to my voiceover fee. So basically, ah, like a script you correction. Your proposal? Yeah, in my proposal. So I'll basically say, this doesn't sound like a native wrote it. I'm happy to correct the script um, and voice it for you, but it'll be, you know, there's this much extra. And usually they're happy to pay because they're like, oh, great, thanks for pointing that out. Sometimes on Voices.com, if you see a script that's been poorly translated, generally, it's because we'll use Google Translate just for a sample of the script while the full script is being translated by one of the translation companies we work with. So sometimes it's necessary if you're working on a self-serve job. Sometimes if it's a full-serve job, it's not always necessary. That being said, it's always good to bundle things. So if you do have that ability, do what Toby does, write it in your proposal. Yeah, well, what you're doing is you're localizing the script. Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be an entirely different language for someone to localize a script. Exactly. Like, yeah. it can be to a, a dialect or a region or, or just anything like mm. that. So, awesome. Well, very, very cool. I think we're going to move on to audition number six. We're just having so much fun. We, we better keep going here. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599, he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Really interesting one, this one. Like, I, I found mm -hmm. this one fascinating to listen to because I was trying to pick where, I'm, I've been trying to kind of pick where these people are actually from. Sort of like, you know, underneath the, the accent they're trying to put on, where are they actually from? And this, again, this one's a bit European, mm -hmm. but a little <laughs> bit of everything. Like, I really couldn't pin it down. And possibly like a great, like the great neutral global accent, because while it didn't sound like a specific accent, it did sound like an accent. She sounded comfortable speaking like that. You know, it wasn't put on, I don't think, that much, or it sounded quite natural to me. So, so while it wasn't Australian, it wasn't authentic Australian at all, I think it's got potential as one of those global accents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounded a bit British to me. Right. We heard fertile. Mm. I picked that mm -hmm. out. So not an American didn't say fertile, mm. you know, mm -hmm. but there is the word work. And that's why one of the words that I thought was more British sounding work, work, work. Yeah. you know, like how would an Australian say work? 
Yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, it's work. I'm, I'm, Same way. I'm going to go to work. It is, yeah, just work. Yeah. So that was that was perfect. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the words that, that I picked out that was like, yeah, she's she's you know she's possibly lived there, hung out with Aussies, something like that. Definitely not a native, but close. What about research versus research or research or something data, like that? Data, data. Yeah, data, data. Any number like potato, potato. Yeah. But but there's there's also these little words that you know. I delight in you versus I delight. Mm. Delight, delight. Oh, you know, yeah, like, right. yeah, there's there's different ways of, mm. of putting the, uh, it's either a schwa sometimes or it's a, now I'm in IPA land, so <laughs> forgive me. But, but you know, yeah. like, there's there's other little telltale signs that someone is favoring how they, they say a certain vowel, the way it falls. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in some, I think the, the, the language is somewhat, or the, the accent is somewhat ambidextrous, like research and research are used interchangeably, I think, like in Australian and New Zealand context, definitely. Possibly in other accents like UK, it would be more research, research. Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, words like that can go both ways. You have to go back to the client and say, you know, which, which way is it? Or usually I just voice both close together. So they give them an, an alt take, which saves you a lot of time and hassle as well. That's a great idea. Like all in the final file that you're uploading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even in the audition that you're doing. You know, if you do two passes, do one one way, do one the other way. Hedge your bets. Do you let them know that you're doing two takes at the beginning? I'll, I'll generally just put my best foot forward first and then just say, and here's an alt on data data or something like that to, to indicate that that's the change. If they like you, they'll listen all the way through anyway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my theory. Yeah. This is just so much fun, Toby. Honestly, you've got to keep us going because we will have a two-hour-long podcast if we do not. Um, yes. So here we go. Audition number seven. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599 he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. Is there an American in there somewhere? I think he is American. Interesting that we were just talking about the classic Hepburn mid-Atlantic because he sounded like that. He was like, oh, I don't know. It was like they had that real music of the mid-Atlantic accent that was coming through. He did identify some of like the classic markers, like 99, 99, which is like a quite Australian sound. So there were some classic markers in there, but it was the stuff in between that let him down. And I think it did tend towards like a mid-Atlantic. So it had this kind of fusion of American-British something sort of in there as well as having the Aussie markers so but again it didn't it didn't sound cohesive as like a global accent but there was the fertile in there again I noticed like lots of Americans I think also because it's right at the end of the script people are like oh I'm, I'm nearly done I can relax I can stop doing the accent now ah, you know uh-huh. so you get towards the end of the script and you're just like ah uh, Galileo's fertile brain instead of like Galileo's <laughs> fertile brain and really finishing on that high note, you know, people tend to give up before they get to the very end. So, yeah, fertile and fertile as a classic marker. Are there any other ones that you notice happen quite often for a non-Australian doing Australian? With words like workman, in, in American you'd say more workman, as opposed to work. There's this work thing that goes on with Australian more New like Zealand. W-E-R-K. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that can be a little pitfall. How about the word house? Yeah, I was just looking at the word house. Because you, you guys go house, house. How do you say house? Is that how we do it? You do, we? yeah, yeah. Oh, say it well, again. House, house. Is that what, <laughs> house? It's coming across Scottish from you <laughs> exactly. to me. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. So the further north you go, because like there's the house and sort of like your standard American house, house, house. But it goes house. The, the, the further north you get, goes straight over to Scotland as well. And they go house. I'm going to go have whiskey in my house. 
and it's that's kind oh. of you know it, that borrows the Canadians kind of maybe borrow that, and then you go down south and it's more like house. But then in in Australia it's house, 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 house. I'm gonna go house. Ch- Is there a dip song in there? House, house. Yeah. My gosh, what does? Okay, tell me, what does this word sound like to you? Oatmeal. How did I say oatmeal? Oatmeal. Oh, that doesn't sound very Scottish. No. Because usually oat, someone says, no, you sound say like saying oatmeal. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like oat, oat, oatmeal, whereas you're like oat, oatmeal, oatmeal. The other one that people say we sound differently is out and about. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Out, <laughs> out and about in my boat. <laughs> no, hang on. <laughs> boat. Out, out and about. In my, bo- in my boat? No, I'm going Scottish again now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a lot of Scottish settlers here in Canada. That is true, yeah, um, especially in this area yeah. uh, that we live in. So that would make absolute sense. My goodness. Again, too much fun, Toby. We're yeah, having too much fun. how many fun. of these characters live up in your brain? That's It's just so cool. Just, you can just see you know, the wheels turning as you're trying to figure out all mm. the different like mouth this that it's really neat and you'll notice that i do it out loud because you cannot think this it's entirely mm. it's making noise is how you learn this it's not doing it in your head you, you can listen a certain amount but then it's about doing it and then listening back to what you've done that's the key thing you just need to repeat that is there um maybe a resource that has kind of like when you go to merriam webster it says this is how you pronounce something but this is how you pronounce something in australian and this is how you pronounce something in scottish is there something that exists well, I think you were you're talking about this a bit earlier, Toby, but the website that we may both be thinking of, I'm not sure, it could be a different one, the International Dialects of English Archive idea. Mm, is that right. a place you've that's been? That's it. Yeah, the idea archive. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know we wrote about this years ago on the blog at Voices.com because it was really, really cool. And we just wanted to know, well, if I want to sound like this, then how can I? And you could find samples of people of various ages, you know, like you would have a... 33-year-old woman in Boston. This is the region that she's from. And then she'll read out some sample for 30, 60 seconds, maybe longer. Mm. All right. Well, we are now on the last audition. This is audition number eight. Like many other philosophers who greatly extended our knowledge of nature, Galileo had a remarkable aptitude for the invention of instruments designed for philosophical research. To facilitate his practical work, we find that in 1599, he had engaged a skilled workman who was to live in his house and be constantly at hand to try the devices, which were forever springing from Galileo's fertile brain. He nailed fertile. He is yeah. not American. No, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Something else, like that. the word engaged, that sounded very Australian to me. can't even do it, but it sounded like it belonged there. Is, is that a, that way of, engage, like, however you said it? Engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. that, like that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. I feel like there was a very good go. Again, I'd like to go one layer deep and try and guess where they're actually from. There was a bit of Dutch in there. I think they were from, I think so. Yeah, it was really interesting, but but some of the stuff he really nailed, but then kind of lost me on other bits and then came sort of back into the fold. So it was very interesting to hear how that kind of evolved. He got lost on the complex bits, so like to facilitate his, which is quite a mouthful is to say to facilitate his. There's lots of like consonants right next to mm. each other there. Sometimes when you reach a part in the script that you need a bit more brain power to divert to the actual reading, you'll lose a bit of brain power for the accent. So it, it'll be those bits, the complicated bits where your eye gets taken off the ball, that it'll slip back to whatever your native tongue is so I think that happened a bit there but he did great for like engaged yeah that was you know engaging that that was done really well and skilled 
as well. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. the 99, that yeah. came through. 99. 99. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 99. So, yeah, 99. It had, a, had did a pretty good go there. <laughs> I thought yeah. the first part of his read was really smooth, but then the second part, it, it lost me. I didn't feel as engaged with his read. What do you think? Performance-wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like when it started, I thought, oh, this guy's this guy's got it. But yeah, then some of the language in it is fairly wordy. It's not a completely simple script. Like it's not it's not too hard, but it, but there are some some bits in there that are a bit harder. And and perhaps just yeah, took us off the ball a little bit for those bits. My goodness, that's eight. That's eight auditions. <laughs> it is. I don't even want to try to do it in an accent, but I thought about it. <laughs> anyway, we are now done. Everybody, we've we've got all the auditions in. We have to pick a winner. And right now, Toby. You need to pick a winner, in fact. So what do you think? So I thought that uh, the last one that we heard there, number eight, was was pretty good, but just got lost a little bit in there and didn't ring true in the end like a kind of authentic local. Number three had that very good start, but then the delivery was a little bit off and the it was a bit distracting. So I think on the whole, in terms of tone and the accent and the delivery, I'd award number five as the winner. It's very good. Yeah, exactly. If it just wow. that little bit of Scandinavian in the middle, but if that was cleared up, I think it would it would sound it would sound good. Absolutely. Well, that's the show, everybody. But before we go, I absolutely want you to know where you can find Toby because Toby's awesome. He does Wealth coaching, of knowledge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you you've experienced Holy. it here today, everyone. You have. Uh, so, Toby, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they find you? What's the best way? Best uh, way is probably go to tobyricketsvoiceover.com. And that's Ricketts with two T's. That's right. Yep. T-O-B-Y-R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. Awesome. Yeah. And happy to give coaching and plenty of options there. And yeah, you can hear all the different accents and all my work from the different marketplaces is uh, up on the site. So have a listen. I'd love to know what you think. As always, we're going to hope that you subscribe and go to the blog and read all the scripts. This one is there too. Voices.com slash blog. But until next time, I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. And I'm Juliana Jones. We hope you have so much fun taking these tips into your studio. Happy auditioning, everyone. (laughs) 